The views and opinions shared by they might be toxic hosts, guests, or sponsors are those of each contributor and do not necessarily express the official view of the brand. We are not doctors, and this podcast should not be mistaken for therapy. Nothing expressed in this content is intended to malign or harm any party or person. We are simply here to discuss and dissect our toxic relationships and to learn about yours. Welcome to the new episode of They Might Be Toxic. In this episode, we discuss the early behaviors that we witnessed in our marriages, as well as reaching the point where we had enough to get out. Welcome to the podcast. I think when we started, I just kind of had to decide, like, people are going to have an opinion either way. And Mm -hmm. I feel like when we hold our story in, it causes stress in our bodies. And we know that we have a message that we need to share with people. Otherwise it wouldn't be keeping us up at night. Right. Like I know when I wrote the book, I was just like, this is what I have to write right now. It has to be done. I mean, I didn't have to finish it, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks, it just felt. It had to come out urgent. Yeah. It felt urgent because I feel like so many people experience this and have no idea. I had a friend from high school who messaged me and, you know, is giving out, I have um, free credits for my audible and he messaged and asked for a copy and, you know, messaged me a couple of hours later. And he's like, wow, your book is awesome. He's like, I actually gave it to a couple of people already. And that's what people keep telling me. It's just that like, even if it doesn't apply to them immediately, which like, thank God for them. Right. But like, we've all seen our friends deteriorate and go through that awful thing where you just like, you see somebody and you can tell that they're miserable and barely getting by energetically. Yeah. But I, and, and I agree with you 100%. And I also noticed that people that are going through abuse, in order to cope with their lives, they have to create all these excuses Oh yeah. for their partner or whoever their abuser is. Personally, I remember telling myself all the time, well, he's having a bad day or, you know, this happened today for him. And, and this is why he's treating me like this. And like, Looking back, it's like, I should have never allowed things to get the way they got, you know? It happens so slowly. I think, you know, I made this joke the other day that like, you know, you're sitting in bubbling water and all of a sudden you realize that you're not at the spa. You know, it really does happen kind of slowly and you get accustomed to it slowly. Mm -hmm. It's like the anecdote with the, the, it's really easy to boil a, a frog because and the frog is not going to jump out because it's happening so slowly mm-hmm. you know and, and and it definitely is how it happened with me and and the fact that they love bomb you at the beginning and so you have in a pedestal and you have with. this the belief that things are going to go back to that six months or three months or a year or however long, like they're going to magically revert to that person you fell in love with and it you know that's the really hard thing because i think that when you're a compassionate person you kind of, um, you expect the best out of people and you trust people to be their best selves and you trust that maybe they are just having a bad day. Is there somewhere? The goodness is there in everybody. Mm -hmm. I think personally, that was one of the the hardest things for me to process. It was to understand that not everybody's good. That not everybody's good and that you need to believe somebody when they're showing you their true colors. Yes. You know? Because they are day after day, he would show me the kind of person he was. But in order for me to keep living my life, 
in the way that I was, I had to give some sort of reason to my brain just to be able to give me a reason to stay. And it was a daily reminder of like, he is treating you this way because this is who he is. But we're like, no, no, they're good. You know, they're just having a bad time. I probably should have done those dishes or, you know, whatever excuse we make for them. It was such an uncanny ability from from my narcissist to to be able to turn things on me. Like I caught him one time by I was on the side of the road. I don't know if I ever mentioned this, but I, you told uh, us in the last time we recorded yeah, that it was it was obviously a bad position for him. But at the end of the day, I had to like cope with it by going well maybe I shouldn't have been looking (laughs) to his location and I mean that's you know that's the thing is like I guess when you have that feeling in your body that you need to look at somebody's phone I've only done it one time and the one time I did it I mean what's the first thing I saw somebody else boobs do you know what I mean like it was super super uncomfortable but like my body knew and why didn't I just trust that and get out instead I had to look at the phone cry torture myself we're taught start a fight yeah we're taught not to believe that in, in the name of keeping the peace, we're taught not to trust the, that gut feeling that we all get. We all, get we all that know trust. that women's intuition, I mean, it's not just when someone's kid gets in a car crash. We feel it in our bodies when we're being lied to. And, you know, that's, you know, the, it's crazy. I'm doing this amazing training, but of course they bring up my favorite, one of my favorite books, The Body Keeps the Score. And that's the thing about, that's the thing about this situation your body starts screaming at you and we choose not to listen. (laughs) Yeah. And what's, what's fascinating actually is in the course that I'm taking. um, It's, it's really ironic that I named my book. um, They might be toxic without having this information. When we are in prolonged cortisol release, the cortisol actually becomes a neurotoxin to the brain. And then people start having all the crazy digestive problems, which turn into skin issues, right? So either you're not assimilating your food or you're not hungry at all. And you're, you know, it's, I mean, I know when I'm in really high stress, I can, I can definitely be one way or the other eating too much Mm -hmm. sugar, you know, using that as a coping tool or not wanting to eat at all. And so when I learned about the, you know, especially the, the effects that it can have on your brain, there's a reason it's called toxic stress. It literally affects your physical body and your brain physiology permanently to where, I mean, we all know the, the phrase, the neurons that fire together, wire together. And yes, it applies to meditation and anger and joy, but it also uh, applies to trauma. When we get used to having those experiences, we become, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You're looking for it. You're always on guard. And if you see it, tiny little joke or a tiny little body movement and you're, you know, people call themselves empaths when really what it is, is that they grew up in an unstable childhood home and they read the room because it's what helps them be safe in the environment. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When I'm on a anxious state, it's like I grow a thousand eyes and I'm aware of everything and the slight change in behavior in somebody, I'm, I'm already reading into it and expecting something it's so exhausting (laughs) it is and what i learned is like the limbic brain actually takes over and we literally can't think clearly we literally turn into a four-year-old it's literally we turn into our the the reptilian side of our brain which is basically just 
keeps us breathing, keeps our heart, you know, like it makes sure that we stay alive. And so realizing that most two things, number one, the abuser is experiencing massive dysregulation all the time. Mm -hmm. And then you being the recipient are in massive dysregulation all the time. But we put it in ourselves to try to regulate our abusers. Of course, that's codependent. We're like, that's codependent, like cake. Like, oh, that's the biggest thing we want is to rescue someone, fix someone. Mm. If I love them right, they're going that's to our drug. And become yes. this wonderful person. Oh, and, and it never ends well, you know. And I think that has a lot to do with the way that we were raised, you know. We have all these check marks that we have to, you know, check off in order to receive any kind of praise, any kind of love from our caregivers so we transfer that into adulthood and we feel we're not enough as a, being a human being we have to hit all these marks in order to feel enough or mm-hmm. feel you know worthy of being loved you know and even so now we- I'm unintentionally the golden child with my parents right like I was definitely the scapegoat growing up and they, you know, I would cry and the whole family would get in and make fun of me. And, jo- you know, it was like the mm-hmm. big family joke of making me cry. And so it's just interesting of how, you know, like I've transformed it for myself and I'm still, you know, I'm still the golden child. And it's not that I want to be, I wish that all of my siblings felt equal in the love and attention that they received from our parents. But also I feel like I've worked harder at maintaining some sanity in the relationship. It's not, you know, there's this analogy that I love. It says, if you want to heal from your codependent family, you know, essentially it's like walking around with dog shit on your shoe, right? Like you throw the damn shoes out, get some new shoes, because if you're around it all the time, you can't heal. Yeah. It's, I've read this in one of the, the forums I'm part of is one of the, the members of this group asked, you know, in the forum, Hey, I'm still married to my uh, to my abuser, is there any hope that I can heal? Is still in the relationship, and everybody was answering the same you know, in the same way, saying it's like being an extreme alcoholic and want to quit drinking with all these drinks in your house, mm-hmm. or you work you in a bar. Yeah, you you have to remove yourself, and we're so scared of. of of cutting people off because they're family we are so scared that's been the most difficult one for me and I have so much shame about not having a close relationship with my sister right now I mean I wouldn't say it's zero like I'll answer a message but you know I love my best friend because she's the most amazing optimist in the world and she always thinks you know you guys are gonna she's still Pollyanna a little bit right you guys are gonna mend things and you know because you still talk about it I know you still care about her I do care about her it's unsafe for my psyche, my body to be around her. Every, every time another violation happens, I end up in counseling for six months. I don't, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't have the energy. Like if she could just be kind and respectful, but she can't, right? Like she can't hold the comments back. She doesn't realize when she's insulting you or saying that it's just like, it's her, she cannot help herself. And you're still raw. Oh, so much. So yes, it's not, it's been three years and it's still raw. And it's, it's really hard for somebody to move on or start looking at somebody like, okay, they're toxic. 
I'm done with them. But if they communicate being their family, you know, they're, they're still going to, unless you cut them off completely, they're still going to reach out because they still want to be like, I'm here. I'm going to tap you, let you know that I'm here. I'm still the boss and I'm still going to be your abuser. <laughs> so it's if you so leave funny. that little door open, <laughs> it happens. It does. In the course I'm taking, the guy kind of used the analogy of like, it's like when somebody has a bad sunburn, right? Like you don't go up and poke them and smack them. You know what I mean? Like you're really sensitive. It's really raw. It's going to take me a while to decide that I'm okay with this. And you know, you were talking about the kind of the um, people pleasing that we do for our families. And in order to keep these appearances up, I still remember my first year married we were driving to Oakland to go, or actually guess uh, Danville where his grandmother lived. And we ended up in Oakland because he missed the turn, right? And this is the days before GPS and maps. And, you know, you had an iPhone, right? MapQuest. Like, yeah, none of that. It was way before MapQuest, way before any of that, right? You're going by memory. And he's been, you know, driving to her house for 20 some years. So I assume that he can get us there. And literally, I mean, you know, in California, traffic gets insane around the holidays. It's not like in Tennessee where like the roads are dead, right? It's you know, it's, it's like weekday traffic because everybody's traveling to get somewhere. And we got lost. We ended up right outside of Oakland. We're in this tiny little geo Metro Pilar. He pulls the emergency brake because he's angry because we're lost and we spin and don't ask me how many angels must've been surrounding us because nothing hit us. We ended up in the median, like facing traffic. And I literally was like, you know, this close, but maybe not close enough to grabbing my ring and tossing it out the window. And then we had to arrive at grandma's and you put a smile on and talk about how wonderful our first year of marriage. You know what I mean? It was such a shit show. And like, just to look back on something like that as an adult and to be like, to my nieces or nephews, my younger friends that are in their twenties and thirties, if you're going through this kind of thing, it's only going to get worse. Get out get out it now. doesn't get better not a yes. joke yeah I mean he could have killed us and and I think just like have no care for our safety no and then you go and eat dinner and you smile and you exchange presents and it becomes a thing that you're expected to act like that you know Oh, especially on I trips too be. like trip oh, trips are like the ultimate breeding ground for I think holidays in general. <laughs> They find a way, I think they find a way to ruin it just so they can be in control of the situation. You know, I, so my story with my narcissist is kind of weird because before we got married, I got along with his mother perfectly. Like it was, she was always nice to me, very helpful, very everything. The day of our wedding, girl, long story short, I went and bought her a dress because, you know, they were kind of struggling with money. So I'll offer us, like, I'll buy your dress for the wedding. It was a really cute, you know, uh, mint colored dress, very elegant. She wears that for the, the actual ceremony of the wedding. She puts on a white dress for the reception, Maria. A white, very sh- look at me dress. That defined, that was like the turning. Like any kind of event that is important to you, they find a way to be the up. center of, either be the center of attention or make sure that you are distracted 
from enjoying yes your moment or like pissed off because they say something or they did something right before your big day or big time or big event that you're playing it is it blows my mind how how good they are at this so can you imagine me my wedding day i'm there everybody's happy i'm happy and my soon-to-be mother-in-law changes into this white dress who fucking does that? Your ex-mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> and I was so enraged. And I told my, you know, my husband at the time, I'm like, what, what's going on? And she, he could have cared less. And as a woman, you know, you're supposed to be the center of attention in your wedding. And this woman just thought it was normal, just to wear a white dress. And that right there. And that right there just ruined the whole our whole relationship. I do, I do remember the the mother in law going from really sweet and kind to like just psycho. psycho. I remember, yeah, I remember when we moved. You know, and I had a pretty decent job for being a nineteen year old, right? Like I had an office job, which is pretty rare at nineteen. Like most people are flipping hamburgers, right? Yeah. So we moved to Sacramento, and of course, I had to you know quit my job and find a new one, which happened like really quick. But I remember like within the first two weeks, she went to the mall and picked up applications for me. I'm like, lady, I haven't worked at the mall since I was like 15. Okay. Like it's just so insulting that like she thought that I, you know, couldn't do it myself. Ew. And of course, I, I know I wrote about this in the book, but like her favorite way to describe me was just a Mexican, which is hilarious. Cause like, first of all, I'm Spanish, but like, if I would try to explain like Europe to her, like that was just way over her head. She just knew that one You're of her kids was a quarter Mexican. <laughs> and, and, you know, we probably would get along maybe because we had some similar DNA oh or the God. same color hair. I mean, it was just so weird listening to her call me that for so many years. Well, she's just a Mexican, like as if I like, you know, crawled out of the, you know, out of the river with the poncho with and your like, little bag. So, like <laughs> right. so much ignorance that like at least I was able to see like where his ridiculous thinking came from. No, that that blows my mind. When when uh, everything just kind of started turning after the marriage or after our wedding. How long did was... you guys date before the wedding? Uh, before we got married, we dated for three years, two or three years. That's a long, that's a long stretch. Yeah. So during that time, everything was perfect. Like she was amazing. And so was he, he was, he filled in all the holes and check, you know, check all the check boxes. He was everything that I wanted him to be, but it's amazing. Like after they got you in, in, they don't have to put up, put this, this facade anymore. They, they can be themselves. And you're stuck, you know? And it was crazy how he will allow his mother to abuse me. And and he would put it on me. It's like, well, if you weren't like this, then she wouldn't be like that towards you. And I'm like, that's not how it works. You're supposed to be kind to everybody and be respectful of boundaries. Like one of the things that was like a huge, huge fight that defined our relationship is the when we started having kids, we had our first son, right? She thought, she started like getting into my business. Like she thought that she gave birth to my kid through me. Like she was going to do things the way she wanted. I was like, uh-uh, girl. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm Latin and you're not going to mess with me. You know, this is my family. We're going to do things the way I want them to do. If you don't like it, there's the door. 
our the first year uh, first birthday for my son I was very clear about I don't want people to like give him gifts just for you know just for quantity sake I want oh, you I to just... one one <laughs> gift I said pick a gift that is something meaningful that's something educational that's something good you know Oh no, she she didn't want anything to do with that concept. Girl, she sent him this box full of like she looked like she it looked like she went to the dollar store and spent $200 in those little plasticky nasty, you know what I'm talking about? Like just a bunch that, of trinkets. Yeah, that that you probably play for for like a second before they break and right. it's just garbage. So purposefully, she went against my wishes just to, you know, piss on her turf, I guess. You know, like, I'm a, I'm the grandma. <laughs> so disrespectful. Like, and I would talk to my husband at, at, the point, at that point, and, and he'd be like, he wouldn't be supportive in any way. It's like, oh, no, like, she's, she's the grandma. She can do it. And she, it was, I felt so alone. It was crazy how he would let her do this. It's always that way. I mean, with my, it's funny because mine got to a point where I think maybe he had gotten a promotion or a raise, you know, something good happened for him. And we were, you know, at lunch or dinner or something. And she made some nasty comment about, you know, you're incapable. I can't believe you got promoted or, you know, just something really ugly. Right. And I called her out and we, and it started a fight. And then she wanted me to apologize to her. And I was like, Hell will burn over before I apologize to her. When she apologizes to you, my husband, right? Like, I didn't care about me. When she stops disrespecting you, maybe we can have a relationship. And at that point, we were only married for five years. So two and a half years, the ex-mother-in-law was cut out of our lives. And I didn't have to deal with her after that. It was great. Good, good. One thing I saw in in. I'm I'm a mom I'm a mama bear and I will defend my people to the death. At one point, after my ex's brother graduated, the mom just kind of went off the deep end, and she took on this job as a traveling nurse. So she would be gone for like a month at a time and then come back. Well, she started dressing quite different than what she used to dress. And I had experienced this with another uh, motherly figure in my life and fatherly figure in my life, where I saw those same changes before the mom cheated on the husband. So I remember telling my husband, I said, your mom is doing something she's not supposed to, because these are the same little, little things that happen with, with this other person. So I recognized it right away. And lo and behold, I was right. She was cheating on the on the uh, her husband, and uh, she like we took her on because eventually they got a divorce. You know, my my mother in law and her husband got a divorce, which is my ex husband's stepdad. So it wasn't his blood relative, but you know, stepdad had been there since he was like I don't know six or whatever. They got divorced and she moved in with the guy that she was cheating on with. Girl, one day we get this phone call in the middle of the night. She's like, I'm at the hospital. 
the guy that I've been seeing. This is before we even knew that she was living with this guy. Was beating the shit out of me. And I'm like, you know, this is my family, even though I don't agree with her and we don't get along. I said, go get your mom. You know, we, we need to do something about it. We bring her to our two bedroom apartment in which it was just my husband and I and our son. We have to display my son from his um from his room to let her have his room. So it's me, my husband, my son in one room, and she's sleeping in this other room. She's like, Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I've been seeing somebody. So once, first of all, this comes to light, and my ex-husband cannot even process it. You know, he is like totally blown away by the fact that his perfect mom is cheating on you know the dad and all this stuff so she can't he can't cope with that as this happening well she goes yes i'm done with him we'll never go back blah blah blah. i'm gonna start my life so we are investing in her and trying to get her on her feet and all this stuff you know this woman does and from there on i was done completely with her she tells her uh, she tells us, oh, I'm going to go to the store. I'll be right back. You know what this bitch does? She takes off. Leaves us hanging after we have invested in her, tried to help her. She goes back to this dude and lies to my husband, lies to me. My ex-husband was so destroyed. In that moment, I was like, I am done. I am never believing one word that comes out of your mom. So I was like, done. So to me, it was easy to cut her off. Right. After that, he pretended that she'd never done anything, that she'd never lied to him, that she's never done one. It, I'm like, how can you do this? And it's the abuse, you know? Well, it's it is the abuse. the abuse. And the unfortunate thing is men are really taught, you know, not no to matter what feelings, not to discuss, yeah. you know, you're not going to bring bring up your stuff. You're not going to air your dirty laundry, you know. It's the complete, I mean, first of all, obviously, like the very clear codependency and rescuing, but I think we make really awkward excuses for the crazy behavior that we are putting up with. Yes. And I I was guilty of that tremendously. I have done it too. As a woman, when you're married, you, I mean, what's the number one excuse for not leaving an abusive relationship? If you have kids, kids. You know, oh, I can't leave. I'll leave after the kids are out of school. I'll leave, you know, when all these things happen. And it's like, no, your kids are literally witnessing the shit show. And you're using them. You're making more narcs and codependents. Oh, my gosh. I started, you know, when I, I decided to leave my ex was when I started seeing his behavior in my oldest son. I'm like, nope, I'm not going to teach my sons that it's okay to treat a woman that way. And I'm not going to teach my daughter that putting up with that behavior from your partner is okay. And that right there is what caused me to actually make the move and actually take action. Because I think I've read somewhere that says it takes on an average for a woman or for somebody that's being abused, seven tries to actually make it from start. You start trying to leave that person until you actually leave them. And it's probably glad it didn't take that long for me. I got lucky. I think I just had really good people who were around me and gave me good advice. Cause I I think maybe twice I tried. And and I think the second time 
uh, I had a boss. I came into work crying. I went into his office. I told him what was going on. He's like, look, he's like, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but just know. And you know, he's, he was in a rough marriage, which of course I didn't know that at the time. He's like, just know that until you've actually packed your shit in your car and gotten in your car and left, you haven't left and it's going to keep happening. And hearing him say that was just like, okay, shit, what's my move? And I think I, at that point I looked at the calendar and like our lease was up at the end of June and 4th of July was a long weekend ironically also like our five-year anniversary so we were together like you know for five years to the mark but I left that day because it was when I had a long weekend and I was able to you know the first time I was able to afford it essentially yeah and what's crazy is you know like you not to be like all victimy but I definitely slept on the floor you know like I didn't have I didn't have furniture I packed my clothes in my car with my computer and I basically we had two cars I took the one that was paid off left him you know I'd paid on his debt the whole time and I was as fair as I could be right like you keep the car payments. I'm not, you know, I don't want any money. I'm just going away. Like just, that's all. Um, so yeah, I mean, and honestly, it's funny because even sleeping on the floor was like the happiest fucking night of my life. Like I felt so free of shit to not have to wake up in the morning and hear his bullshit and be put in a shitty mood before I even get to walk on eggshells, walk on eggshells. That was my life. It was like, I never knew what I was going to say that it was going to cause me to endure more abuse and sometimes you don't even have to say anything it's like you make a look or you you know wear the wrong outfit or you know make the wrong body language and all of a sudden there's you know a fight thank you for listening to they might be toxic podcast we truly appreciate your likes subscribes shares and especially your time we wish you safety insight and empowerment as you navigate your own healing path they might be toxic podcast airs every sunday at 8 a.m central If you've enjoyed our content, please subscribe and look for our books on Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes and Noble, and wherever books are sold.